Hey there, TPC family. I hope you took just a few minutes just to spend some time with the Lord to really just focus on him. I know there's so much stuff going on right now. There's so much uh, uncertainty. There's so much chaos. We just need that time just to focus and allow Jesus to refocus us in, in seeing from a spiritual and a biblical perspective. So I really hope you took that time tonight to kind of let the day kind of wash away, let the Lord refocus you. And, you know, what we want to do tonight, we sort of want to have a conversation. Uh, obviously, we, we weren't sure what was going to happen here as of yesterday, as still as of right now, there's still no uh, answer as far as the, the presidential race. So there's just a lot of uncertainty. And when there's uncertainty, it, it causes at least mental chaos, if not other kinds of chaos. Now you add that into all the other things that have taken place this year. I mean, it's just another indication of 2020. I mean, you're just adding stuff on. So what we want to do tonight is, is have a conversation on, on now what, even though we don't know the result, um, what, what is our response? How do we biblically respond to this election? And I don't just mean the result. I mean the whole thing. Um, this, this election has been one of the most contentious, at least in our lifetime. Uh, and it's one of the most pivotal. And, and there's just a lot of dynamics there. But it's also very divisive. And it's divided a lot of people. Uh, both inside the church and outside of the church. But specifically inside the church. And... It's caused a lot of bitterness, anger, resentment, fear, all those kinds of things. And we, we want to talk about that tonight. We want to look at how do we respond to that as Christians, and not just to respond to it, but how do we position ourselves in such a way that we as the church can be a positive influence on our culture, you know, starting right here in our cities, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and then spilling out throughout the community, the cities, the, the state, and this country. Because right now, this country is in desperate need of transformation. And we know the only place that comes from is Jesus Christ. And we as his people have a responsibility to represent him. So how do we do that? How do we as individuals make a difference in, in the world that's directly around us, not necessarily in the world at large, but just in the world directly around us. So that's what we want to talk about tonight. Joining me tonight is Tina Jackson, the director of SUM Bible College and Theological Seminary. She's also, uh, I say she's my co-host, actually. I'm her co-host. I think he's my co-host, actually. <laughs> that's right. Uh, on the church news video, you see us up on the big screen all the time for church, church news, so we have a lot of fun doing that. But uh, I've asked Tina to join me tonight so we can have this conversation. Uh, we, we've worked on some questions that we want to kind of walk through mm -hmm. that maybe you're asking, that maybe uh, you have, or maybe you haven't even thought of yet uh, in regards to what's going on. So in, in that context, Tina, you know, yes. we just want to have this conversation. Right. Uh, we want to we talk through the biblical response. Mm -hmm. And I know your, your heart is 100% wrapped around the word and representing Jesus. You know, I've seen that in your life uh, and it's in, in your testimony. You know, we both said we're, we're products of Celebrate Recovery Absolutely. and the transformation that Jesus has brought in our lives. Uh, so we know the hope that we need in general is in Jesus. So with that in mind, let's, 
let's spur our conversation. All right. Are you ready, Pastor Brendan? Well, ready or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you, TPC family. So um, I'm just going to start, and I'm going to engage Pastor Brendan with some questions um, that I came up with, that, that some questions that I actually have uh, during this season that, that we are in. Um, and so here we go. So here we are, Pastor Brendan, the day after the election with no decision and potentially having no decision for a few days. But nonetheless, this is where we're at. Due to the unknown, it feels like complete chaos. It really feels like complete chaos, more so than it did even a few days ago. So whether the candidate that we voted for wins or not, as Christians, how do we move forward in advancing the kingdom of God with a nation that is divided? Can we ask the church, can we bring unity back and peace? Can we bring those things back, not only to America, but in the church? Well, the short answer is yes. <laughs> That's the short <laughs> answer. Yes, there, there's always hope because, you know, the, the, the fact that the nation is divided. I mean, you just look at the the election results uh, in just raw numbers. Um, it's almost divided right down the middle, right. you know, 50-50. Um, mm-hmm. And the Bible states, you know, a, a, um, a nation divided against itself cannot stand. Right. You know, so obviously uh, that division is a problem. But in the context of what you're asking is, how can we as Christians minister in this, in this environment? Right. Well, I think it begins with, first of all, making sure there's no division in ourselves. Mm. Yeah, amen. You know, that's, that's, that's where it has to begin. It all begins inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the, the biggest challenges in the fear or the chaos that we're seeing is we're, we're looking at the, a, a, challenge that obviously is bigger than us. You know, the division in the country as a whole is, is definitely too, too big for me. It's too big for you. It's too big for any of us. But what isn't too big is my ability to make sure, first of all, I'm walking in unity, first of all, with Christ. There has to be that inner unity first. Because if I don't have an inner unity, that inner peace, that inner center of, of unity with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no way I can minister unity with those around me. Because really, when you think of a nation, I know we think of states and governments and entities and all that, but really it's people. I mean, that, that's what the United States is. It's made up of people. And when we talk about the healing of a nation, we have to talk about the healing of people. Institutions, governments are made up of people. And we know as Christians that ultimately the core of all division is sin. I mean, that's where, that's, that's where it comes from. Yeah. Uh, you know, the enemy comes to seek, to steal, kill, and destroy, Right. And that's what division does. It, it brings destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Destruction. A nation divided itself cannot stand. But to be a positive influence, it has to begin with me. It has to begin with you. It has to begin with you in our relationship with Jesus. So in that context, what we have to ask ourselves is, okay, yes, 
the world is chaos right now uh, in a million different ways mm-hmm. through coronavirus, the election, uh, the no result, all that stuff. But when I stand in front of the mirror and I look at myself in the context of my relationship with the Lord, do I see the vision in me? Do I see duality in the sense of there's desires in me that I know are not right? There's things in me I know that need to be healed. And in that context, how do we as Christians make a difference in a country that's divided? We do it, first of all, by allowing God to bring healing to ourselves. I have to be healed in order for me to minister healing to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we look at the, the story of the woman at the well. Yeah. When Jesus found that woman, uh, her life was in chaos. And there was a lot of destruction. There was a lot of relational destruction in there. You know, she talked about the fact that she had five husbands and the one she was with was not her husband. Yet, when she had that encounter with Christ, she encountered a, a, an ability through Christ to experience healing and transformation. And what happened? Well, she turned around and went into her city and started sharing that testimony right. of her experience. That brought other people to Jesus... And that began a revival, if you will, within that city to the point where those in the city said, you know what, we no longer believe in Jesus because of what you said. We believe because we've had our own encounter. We've had our own experience. That's how we begin the process of bringing healing to the division around us. We, there's nothing we can do about Washington. I can't do anything about the, the presidential race. Uh, you know, we all voted or we hope we did. You know, we did our part. Beyond that, there's nothing I can do. I can pray, but the biggest thing I can do is making sure that I am walking in unity with Christ. I'm sharing that unity with those around me to the point that they have that encounter with Christ and then they go share that unity with others. One of the biggest mistakes I think we make is we look at the big picture, the big problem, go, I can't do anything, so I just hide. Mm -hmm. Whereas I can allow Jesus to fix me, and I can help at least one other person encounter that that healing that Jesus brings, and that's how it begins. That's exactly how Jesus changed the world. Right. One person at a time. He started with 12, and we're still talking about it today, Mm -hmm. 2,000 years later. So it, be, it has to start with my own personal relationship with Jesus. If I want to make a difference in the world, I've got to allow Jesus to make a difference in me. Right. And that's funny you mentioned that because that was going to be my second question. I was going to ask you about the difference between the church and the individual. Mm-hmm. We tend to uh, possibly place bank blame and talk about what we think needs fixed, but about how do we fix that? How do I yeah. fix that yeah. through the word, mm-hmm. through discipleship? Through worship, yep. through spending that time with another person and investing yes. that time in one person. Because we yep. don't know what that one person might do That's in right. this world. Well, and you and I experienced that at Celebrate Recovery. Yes. We both had a sponsor. Mm-hmm. One person. One person. I remember my sponsor for 10 months sat down with me once a week consistently every week. 
and walk me through that process. He was not the source of my healing. Mm. He was just a guide to help me position myself to experience healing from the source, Jesus Christ. And in that process, I experienced the healing I didn't even know was possible. And I, you had the same absolutely. experience. Right, absolutely. And here we are, years later. I mean, I, didn't, I had no idea. <laughs> when I sat down with my sponsor at, at a church over in Arlington, in, that, in, a, in an outer office from uh, one of the pastor's offices, that I would be doing this today. There was no, I, I was still a police officer. This never even crossed my mind that I'd be doing this. But the Lord knew. And the Lord knew to get me here, he had to get me there. And I had to be willing to walk through the healing process. And I think for a, a lot of us as Christians, we, we want to skip the healing process because it's hard. Right. It's really it's hard. It's really hard. And one of the reasons we skip the healing process is because we think the things that need healing in us, the sin, the, the you know, all that stuff is a commentary on our worth. Mm -hmm. But it's not. The only commentary on our worth, the only commentary on your worth, if you are in Christ, is the gospel. That's it. The great thing about the gospel is it frees you to experience the healing of Jesus Christ because when God brings to the surface the things in you that need healing, mm -hmm. it no longer is a, a commentary on your worth. Mm -hmm. It's like going to the doctor and he says, hey, I see this on, on your x-ray. The doctor's not doing that to condemn you. He's saying it's in you. It's got to get out so you can be healed. And that's what Jesus does. And when we're walking in the gospel identity, we're free to be healed because we can now allow God to bring to the surface those things that are hurtful, the sin, the bitterness, the anger, right. whatever, mm -hmm. bring it to the surface to heal it and get rid of it. So it's no longer a hindrance because uh, if I had not, and ha had you not been willing to walk through that healing process, we would not be sitting here today. No, no way. Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I would be. I don't want to know where I, I would be because it would not be right here. Um, right. You know, one of the things we teach here at Turning Point Church is you're created on purpose for a purpose. For a purpose. And part of that purpose is, first of all, you experiencing healing. Mm -hmm. If we want to see a change in this world, we have to allow God to make a change in us. And you're exactly right when it comes to the individual versus the church. You know, again, we, we want to look at the church as a separate entity from us. You know, the church needs to be doing this. The church is not some separate entity. Jesus made it very clear. The church was built on those upon whom call on his name. It's you and me. It is, it is not a 501c3. I know in the United States we have these 501c3 organizations. That's not the church. It's you and me. And that's how the church makes a difference in the community. One person at a time. Committing to the one person who can bring healing into their lives and those around them. And that's how we do it. One person at a time. Right. One person at a time. My next question is uh, follow-up from Sunday, which, by the way, was just phenomenal um, for so many people. Um, it was just great, Pastor Brendan, and it's something that we really needed. But something that you mentioned was you, you brought up fear. 
and how fear has really engulfed the people of God the last 20 years and how that's really been magnified uh, these last seven months with the coronavirus and with the election. Uh, So I want to ask you, what does the church, if anything, need to be fearful of? What do I need to be fearful of? Well, you know, obviously, uh, I'll give you the Sunday school answer. (laughs) Jesus said, fear only him who can not only kill the body, but throw yourself into into Gehenna or hell, which, of course, you know, he's talking about the Lord, uh, God himself. Uh, Do not fear man. Now, let's let's kind of unpack that. What is this? Mm -hmm. You know, what does it really mean? Uh, Because, yes, there is a lot of fear, uh, especially today. I mean, I think going into yesterday there were a lot of, of people that had an expectation of coming out of yesterday with a decisive answer. Mm-hmm. And that has not happened. Uh, and regardless of who wins, it's, very, it's, it's not decisive at all. It's razor thin. Whoever wins. And, and you know, that's just adding to the, the continued lack of uh, clarity. And the continued chaos, because it's just going to continue. Uh, you know, you're adding coronavirus. And as you mentioned, over the last 20 years, one of the things I said yesterday, um, you know, I talked about the, the judgment hand of the Lord being on this country over the right. last 20 years. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt about that, that the, the judgment of God has clearly been on this country uh, for the last 20 years. And, you know, we talked about how do we respond to that. Uh, but in the context of fear... I think what happens is, as Christians, we're called to walk not by sight, but by faith, as Paul says. You know, walk by faith, not by sight. But too often, we walk by sight and not by faith. And what does that mean? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. That looks like looking at the circumstances right now, watching the news or, you know, reading Facebook or whatever, looking at all the the circumstances on the outside and coming to a conclusion based on those facts that it's hopeless or, you know, uh, there's no way that we can get to a better place or, you know, we, we start to despair because we're looking at the circumstances and we think that the circumstances or the news media or Facebook or just our own perceptions are giving us a full picture of the truth. And that's just not true. Because the truth only comes from God's perspective. We, we can look at the facts, we can look at the data But if we're only looking at it from a natural perspective and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to give us spiritual revelation of what's going on, we're going to miss the truth. And we're going to make decisions based on our own understanding. And that goes back to, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not lean on your own understanding. And a lot of times that's where fear comes in is we're leaning on our own understanding. We're also looking at things only from our ability. You know, I think one of the things that happens in a Christian's life, especially if you're dealing with sin, but in the context of circumstances like this too, it's the same thing. We look at a circumstance and we look at the size of the circumstance. And it's just like the the spies that went into the promised land. You know, they went in 
And they said, look at the size of the giants. You know, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, there's no way God can do this. They're going to defeat us. Don't even go in. Uh, don't even try. Just stay away, you know. And what we don't realize we're saying when we make that declaration or when we come to that conclusion, and we don't necessarily make it as a declaration per se, but we come to a conclusion in our own mind, nothing is going to change. This is too big. It's always going to be this way. What we're really saying is that it's too big for God. And the giants of the world, if you will, are too big for God. That God cannot overcome these things, just like the spies did coming out of the promised land. We know God's promise, but I don't think he saw the giants in there because we did, and there's no way that we can take it. (laughs) So they're looking solely from a... uh, natural perspective and that's we and it's just it's natural to do that right to slip into that mindset Mm -hmm. because we're we're natural you know we have a natural side and that's our natural tendency is to only look at it through sight but not by faith and and we have to have god's perspective um to really get a picture of what the truth of the situation is because until god has his final say it's not done and we all know as we we sang uh, Sunday, the, my favorite song, Victor's Crown, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, Jesus will have the final say. Yes, he will. You know, like, it's like the, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Mm-hmm. When they're walking along the road to Emmaus, to them, it was done. It was over. They were despondent, and they couldn't believe it, and they were just totally in despair because they thought, oh, we thought this was it. You know, we thought he was the Messiah, and now he's dead. I mean, you can't get more factual than that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. from a natural perspective, dead is dead and there's no hope after death. Mm-hmm. Yet here comes Jesus and says, uh, let's take a look at it from a different perspective. <laughs> and what they came to realize was that the truth of that circumstance was bigger than the facts they saw. And it's the same thing right now in this country. The truth of the circumstances is bigger than the facts or the perceptions we have. And that goes for the big stuff, you know, the, the, the stuff we're dealing with as a whole as a country, but it also goes for the individual stuff that each one of us are dealing with. Uh, whether maybe it's personal, you know, we're just depressed or anger or bitterness, resent, whatever it is. Uh, you know, what you and I dealt with when we went through our CR journey, th- those were giants. They were giants. And for a long time in my life, I questioned, can I really overcome this? And the Lord, obviously, his answer was yes. Yes. But it took positioning ourselves to see things from his perspective and allow him to bring truth into the circumstances of our own understanding. And speaking of truth, um, you, you did talk a lot about truth on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to talk a minute about that a little bit further. In John fourteen six, we know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So how do we as Christians, how do we discern the truth when we have so many voices <laughs> screaming at us? Yeah, exactly. 
that it's truth. Right. Everywhere right. we look, everywhere we go, every, you yep. can't get on social yep. media for a moment. <laughs> and yeah. it, how do we as Christians, how do we discern that truth? Yeah, and that, I mean, that's such a good question because, you know, one of the social media, oi, um, you know, is any, any, anything you see on social media, you pretty much guarantee is not true, uh, you know, to a degree, uh, a large degree. But nonetheless, part of it is where, where are we seeking truth? Mm. What, what we need to ask ourselves is not what is true per se, which we do need to ask, but the first question we need to ask is where are we seeking truth? Where? You know, am I going to social media? looking for truth? Mm. Am I going to the media looking for truth? Mm -hmm. Am I going to the newspaper? Am I going to friends or family? Am I going somewhere where it's not reasonable that I can actually find truth? You got to ask yourself that question because just like you you quoted there in in John, Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, I will tell you the truth. He said, I am am the the truth. Truth is not just facts and figures. Truth is a person. person. And here's the thing about truth. If you really want to know the truth, it's not about just having the right factual information in your head. Mm-hmm. It's not just intellectual understanding. You have to have a relationship with the truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ. You want to know the truth? You've got to have a relationship with Jesus. Because everything he says is true. And every perspective he has is true. Just, again, going back to the the disciples on the road to Emmaus. On that road, they thought they knew the truth. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, the truth came up beside them. And they entered into a relationship. And everything changed. When, When Jesus departed from them... Their entire perspective changed, but what didn't change were the facts that they knew before Jesus showed up. Those facts were exactly the same. He had died. He was buried. He was tortured. All that stuff, their despair, all that was still fact, but it wasn't the truth. So when they had this relationship with Jesus, he showed them the facts from a completely different perspective. He walked alongside them and gave them a whole new view of the facts that they didn't have before. He opened to them the scriptures, it says, and gave them a true biblical perspective. And that radically changed everything. The facts were still the facts, but their perception of them is what changed. What changed for them? They changed because they had a relationship with the truth. If we want to know truth... We have to have a relationship with Jesus because the only way we understand truth is through spiritual revelation because ultimately everything is spiritual. Mm -hmm. Everything is built on a spiritual foundation. You know, in the beginning was God and then God spoke into reality, into creation, that which we see. You know, the the biblical term ex nihilo, out of nothing, God spoke and it, it was manifest from the spiritual to the natural. Everything is a spiritual foundation. So if you want to understand truth, you got to understand the spiritual things. And the Bible says that natural, the natural man has no ability to understand spiritual truth for its foolishness to him because we're blind to spiritual truth apart from revelation. And that's why as Christians, when the Lord 
brings into us the Holy Spirit, that brings a new ability for revelation. Anytime we understand anything of truth in the Bible, of any spiritual truth, is because God has revealed it to us. It's not because we're intellectually smart. I don't care how big your IQ is. You and me are not smart enough to get anything of truth out of the Word of God or anything of truth of spiritual reality. It has to be revealed to us. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He reveals the truth to us in that context of a relationship. So if we really want to know, if you want to know, is what I believe true, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. And it's not just, you know, I signed the card, walked the aisles, prayed the prayer, and, you know, became a church member. It's a daily, ongoing, ongoing, ongoing relationship with Jesus where you're constantly getting closer to him. It's relationship. It's discipleship where you grow in your walk with the Lord. I mean, the theme tonight, as far as everything we're talking about is you got to be in relationship with Jesus every single day. As a believer, you've got to be in the word of God every day because the more you get into the word of God, the more it renews your mind, as Paul says, to experience that transformation so you would know what is that good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. So you have to have a relationship with Jesus because that's where truth comes from. You want to know the truth? You got to be in a relationship. So for somebody maybe watching who doesn't normally read their Bible every Mm -hmm. day, who doesn't pray every day, who doesn't spend time with the Lord, but maybe um, they're feeling called to do that. Right. What's the best place for them to start? Where, where, where do they start? Tomorrow they wake up, it's a right. new day. Right. Where do they start? Well, here's, here's something that, that I, I recommend. I know Pastor Jeff recommends. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in uh, a one-year Bible reading plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you're going to make me go to the whiteboard. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> here's why. Uh, this is what I call the RX for life or the prescription for life. And it's a prescription for life for two reasons. One, it brings life, right? But it also is for life. You're, you're on this for the rest of your life, just like a prescription. You know, if, I, if I've got pneumonia and I go to the doctor and the doctor gives me a prescription, I go get it filled at a, at a pharmacy. I come home, I got this little pill bottle with, with these pills to get rid of the pneumonia. I have to follow the prescription on the bottle, take one pill a day every day for six weeks or whatever it is in order for this pneumonia, which I can't get rid of. I can drink all the chicken soup I want. I cannot get rid of this pneumonia. So I take these little pills and I know these pills will do in me what I cannot do in myself. And that's what the word of God does. And this prescription for life is based on Hebrews 4.12. And that's... that goes along with the the illustration of of the prescription because Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. See this this prescription, if I take this little pill, this little pill to get rid of this pneumonia is like, uh, it's like chemically alive and will do in me what I cannot do in myself. Well, sin in me is spiritually alive. So I don't need something that's chemically alive to overcome sin. I need something that's spiritually alive. That's what the first part of Hebrews 4.12 says. The word of God is living and active. It is spiritually alive and it can do in me what I cannot do in myself in bringing healing, renewing my mind. 
So the more I get into the word, the more it gets in me and the more it follows what the rest of Hebrews 4.12 says, which is the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner or a revealer of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the more you get into the word, the more it reveals the things that need to be healed in you. Those lies that we believe. We talked earlier about the healing process and why it's so important to to be grounded in the gospel so God can bring that truth up. Well, one of the ways he does that is through through the Bible. And one of the ways we teach here is through a one-year plan. And here's why. This is what a one-year plan will do for you. There's three things it will do. Number one, it gives you structure. Why do you need structure? Well, the Bible's a daunting book. If you decide to open the Bible and go to Leviticus... You're probably never coming back, right? If you've ever been through Leviticus, you know, you're treading through muddy water there. It's kind of hard to get through. Although there's some great stuff in Leviticus, I'm just saying. (laughs) Here's what a one-year Bible will do. It tells you what to read every day. And you don't have to worry about what to read. You just follow it. So, you know, today is November 4th, okay? So you're thinking, well, you know, do I wait till January? No, start today. You can start a one-year Bible reading plan tonight. In fact, here's what I encourage you to do. As soon as this broadcast is over, go to the, go to the internet, type in one-year Bible plan, and pick up on November 4th or start day one. It doesn't matter. Start wherever you can start, but just get into the habit of getting into the Word every day and just follow it. You know, one of the, one of the things people tell me about reading the Bible is, you know, I tried to read it or, you know, I struggle with reading because I don't really understand it. You know, I hear Pastor Jeff and the phenomenal revelation that Pastor Jeff brings in regards to biblical truth and, and theology and all that. But I don't get anything like that when I read the Bible. Well, here's the thing. You know, when I have that pill for the prescription, I don't need an organic chemistry degree in order to understand how this pill is going to work in order for it to bring healing in my life. I don't need a degree in theology at first in order to understand, or in order for the word of God to bring healing into my life. If you don't understand it at first, it's okay. The goal of the Bible is not first to inform you, it's first to transform you. And as it transforms you, it will then begin to inform you. So don't get caught up in the fact that I don't know enough or or I'm not getting anything out of it. You're getting something out of it. You just don't realize it yet. Just like when I take that first pill, when I get that prescription, I take one pill. I'm not healed completely after the first pill. I got to keep doing it. And that's why you got to keep doing, reading the word. And that's why a one-year plan helps with that. It gives you structure. Number one, it's structure. Uh, Number two, it creates what, what I call a baseline. What's a baseline? Well, you know, again, on that, that prescription bottle, it says take one pill a day every day for six weeks. That's a baseline. I know if I'm not taking one pill a day every day for six weeks, I'm not getting enough of this medication in order to bring healing to my body. Well, in my opinion, a one-year plan gives you a minimum baseline. If I'm reading the minimum amount that a one-year plan tells me every day, I know I'm getting the minimum amount I need uh, of the word to begin to experience healing over time. Uh, Again, that's it's not in the Bible. I'm, that's just my own belief. It's arbitrary, but I'm telling you, 
you create a baseline that you know it's a great reference point and a one-year plan is a great way to start. So there's your baseline. I know, you know, three to four chapters a day. And if you're thinking three to four chapters a day, man, I have a hard time getting through three to four paragraphs. Well, then start three to four paragraphs. Start somewhere and build into it. But ultimately, it gives you a great baseline because I know, I know, I've been on a one-year plan for years now. I know if I don't get at least my one-year plan in every day, I'm not getting enough of the Word. And I need to get that every single day. Now, obviously, once you get to the point where you get to your baseline, do more and go above. And absolutely, that's great. But the baseline gives you a reference point so you know, hey, I'm getting at least the minimum. And then finally, number three, it gets you through the whole Bible. Not only do most people not read the Bible, most Christians, they've never read the whole Bible at any time in their life. And we need to hear the whole counsel of God. So it gives us all three, structure, a baseline, and the whole Bible. And I guarantee you, you get on the prescription for life, God is going to change your life. You're going to experience transformation, healing, and just like you and I experienced through Celebrate Recovery, you're going to experience a transformation of your desires. And God's going to bring into you the self-control you've been looking for all your life. Because self-control is not an act of the will. It is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And the more you get transformed, the more spirit, uh, fruit of the Spirit you'll experience, the more self-control you experience, the more desires will change, and the more your life will change. So that's why it's so important to be in the Word of God every single day. Let me ask your thoughts on, there, there might be some people that, that view this that... Uh, want to know how you feel or if it's okay to actually listen to the Bible like we can mm-hmm. do on you, yeah. you version, we can Great listen question. to it. Great question. That is so good. Yes. Uh, especially if you're struggling with, you know, uh, man, three to four chapters a day is hard. Absolutely. Listen to it. If that's the, you know, you, you need to start listening, start listening to it. Um, one of the things that, that I learned o- over my years when it comes to personal development uh, the late, great Zig Ziglar. I loved Zig Ziglar. Uh, you know, great believer, uh, of course, motivational speaker. You know, he, he was kind of in, in that arena. But one of the things he taught was what he called the university on wheels, and I've never forgotten it. Meaning, you spend X amount of time in your car uh, every week. Now, you know, some people spend more, some people spend less. Sure. But most of us spend, you know, a couple hours a week in our car. His point was, uh, you can get a whole degree by listening to something intentional in your car instead of just listening to the radio. You know, maybe it's audiobooks or whatever. Well, it's a great way to get your Bible reading in. Just plug in, you know, if you got, I don't have my phone up here, but you plug in your phone to the car or put headphones in and get your reading plan in right there. That's a great way to start. I guarantee you, yes, if you start listening to the word every day, you're going to, it's, it's a spiritual reality that the more you get into the word, the more you're going to have a desire to get into the word. And it it takes time Mm -hmm. uh, and it takes commitment, but yes, listening is, uh, is a fabulous way to get started because it's so easy. You don't have to worry about um, you know, with, especially with like version, the version Bible app, uh, all you got to do is hit play and it plays all the chapters you need until it's done. And then you just do that same thing the next day. Uh, you know, until you get to the point where you start learning to read and, and learning how to study those things. But yes, it is a fabulous way to get started and it's not cheating. 
It is not not cheating. cheating. Okay, let's get that off the table right here. Listening to the word is not cheating because here's the thing. Here's the thing about the Bible. The Bible was first an auditory tradition or a, a, a listening tradition, not a written one. Because it wasn't until the Gutenberg uh, press that the Bible became ubiquitous as far as in written format. It was always read. You know, in the Old Testament, they didn't have printed. You know, it was on tablets or, you know, all the, in the New Testament, the scrolls and all that. They read those letters Mm -hmm. to the church. You know, that's what Paul said. Read this to the church. And that's what they did. And that's all they had. So it was an oral, that's the word I was looking for, oral tradition. Uh, before it became a written one. So yes, reading or listening to the word of God is not cheating. Amen. (laughs) Let me ask you this. What have you learned about the climate of Christianity in relation to the church and politics? Taking a little bit of a turn here. (laughs) Let's just jump right into the deep end. Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, it's, whew, yow. Uh, just really quick, uh, for those of you who don't know, there was a, a season in my life where I was going to, um, where I was preparing to run for office. So I spent about two, two and a half years running in the political circles, um, just learning all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, when I, through a variety of circumstances, uh, I didn't run, and I'm very happy I'm right here where I am right now. Uh, we are too. I think I can speak <laughs> for all of us. We are too. Uh, but here's the thing, what happened when I got out of the, the political world, you know, and transitioned back here, um, what, what I noticed was the political worldview that I saw in the political worldview, or sorry, in the political world is, I mean, it is mirrored almost perfectly in the church. Wow. There are a large percentage, and I don't want to put a number on it, uh, but there's a large percentage of Christians who hold a political worldview rather than a kingdom worldview. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, there's, there's three things that the political worldview teaches that I see Christians have wholeheartedly adopted. Not all of them, but it's a large percentage. Okay. The first thing is the political worldview teaches that anybody that does not believe what I believe or is not willing to bow to my ideology is my enemy. And all of a sudden it becomes binary. You're either in or out. And it's not a, there's no percentage. It's not like, well, you believe like 70% or no, 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 it's a hundred. It's all or nothing. And this is how it plays out in the church. Obviously in the political side of the political worldview, when we talk about conservative versus liberal or Republican versus Democrat or whatever, you see that playing out and you know, that's all over the place. But even in the aspect of theology, we see that viewpoint where people look at others, other Christians, and they realize, you know what? You do not believe what I believe hundred percent. So you're my enemy. And I can't fellowship with you. Uh, or you're, you know, you're, you're an apostate or whatever. Now, I'm not talking about the core uh, orthodox truths, like, you know, the nature of God and right. Jesus is God and, you know, his death, burial, and resurrection, the power of the blood. That's not what I'm talking I'm not talking about the core essentials. Mm-hmm. What I'm talking about is all the peripheral stuff that is what tends to divide the church. Yes, People is. look at it through the political worldview. And they approach their fellowship with other believers from a political worldview standpoint rather than a kingdom worldview. And they, 
when, when they come in contact with somebody who thinks differently, they approach them more from a, a, a condemnation standpoint rather than a compassion standpoint. Yeah. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, the political worldview also teaches that compromise is a tactic of your enemy to get you, to trick you into believing their truth or their lies. And that's why in the first one, when it comes to ideology, it's an all or nothing prospect. Uh, now, again, when I talk about theology and compromise, I don't mean compromising the core truths. That's not what I'm talking about. But there's, there's so many non-essentials in the Christian world uh, on, on, on the theological spectrum that there's no reason we should be breaking fellowship over it. But uh, we look at it as compromise, and that's a tactic of my enemy to get me to believe their lies, which is they just believe lies, they don't believe the truth, so I can't fellowship with you, and, you know, it's just... Uh, us four and no more, whatever. So that's number two. And then number three, the third thing that the political worldview teaches is that the only way for me to win is to defeat my enemy. And if I cannot defeat my enemy through debate, then character assassination is a viable tactic. And unfortunately, in the church, the vast majority of Christians do not understand or know why they believe what they believe so they skip right over the debate and go straight to character assassination because they can't debate because they don't understand why they believe what they believe, but they believe this because they've been told it or you know it's part of their ideology, whatever, and they can't defend it. So anybody who challenges them is the enemy, so now I'm just going to attack their character. And of course, that happens all the time in the, in the political world. I mean, it's all character assassination now, um, but we see that even in the church. And that's the political worldview. <clears throat> Whereas in the kingdom, the kingdom worldview is, uh, is just the opposite. We talked about the, the, the difference there between compassion and condemnation. Uh, Jesus always led through compassion. Right. The only time Jesus would condemn somebody is somebody who had a religious viewpoint or was trying to oppress people through legalism or religion. Uh, those who were truly struggling in sin, he always had compassion for them. He did. And he met them where they were in order to bring them to where he was. And that's what we should be doing in, in the church, is having compassion for the world. We see that even in evangelism. When we look at the world, we view the world from a political worldview that they're the enemy and we attack their character. We condemn them rather than having compassion for the fact that they're going to hell. Mm. And that our message of hope is what they need, not our condemnation of where they're at. So um, the, the political worldview is extremely dangerous. And it's led to where we are in this country right now, completely divided. We, there is no middle ground anymore. I mean, and everything is political. Everything. Even if you don't mean it to be political. I mean, do I wear a mask or not wear a mask? It's a political statement. Uh, what? You know, do I go to church in person? Do I do it online? It's all of a sudden a political statement. And that, that's part of the political worldview. And that goes back to the division side where we talked at the beginning. You know, and the enemy seeks to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Part of that is through division. So this might be somewhere that you don't want to go, but we're going to have to do it. Oh, we boy, talked on it go. a little bit. Um, <laughs> But I think it's necessary yeah. that, that you address it. Right. Um, social media. 
social media. Um, Matthew 12, 25, Jesus said, every kingdom divided against itself is brought mm-hmm. to desolation and every city or house divided against yep. itself will not stand. So I'm seeing not just the ecclesial church, but our own TPC family becoming more and more divided mm-hmm. on social media. Yep. So how do we stop? doing that? How do we stop representing Jesus poorly as the body of Christ? Well, you know, again, um, you know, Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we, we don't do that we need to do more is to, you know, we spend a lot of time judging everybody else, but we ignore the person staring at us in the mirror. Mm -hmm. You started with that. Yeah. So it goes back to that. You know, when was the last time you or, or anybody um, examined their own narrative? And here's what I mean. What, what, what is the tone of, of my conversations? What is the content of my conversations? What are the words that I use consistently over time? I'm not talking about slipping up and you're making a mistake, whatever. What I'm talking about is the consistency over time uh, and you know, that verse, out of the abundance of the heart speaks the mouth. Well, in our social media age, we can say out of the abundance of the heart types the fingers. <laughs> because the, the illusion of social media is that I can type something out, but I, I'm not responsible for it or I don't have to be held accountable for it. Um, and that's just not true. You know, this is my... Facebook wall, get off it if you don't <laughs> right, like right. it. I don't care. This is what I believe. Blah, blah, you know, whatever. We're just railing against each other. But it comes back to the problem isn't social media. Social media is just a, a magnifier of the problem. The problem is the human heart. That's where it comes back to. Because if you've got a bunch of people who, are, who have experienced a transformed heart mm-hmm. of Christ, mm-hmm. social media is not a problem. It's just a great platform to present the truth of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. The problem That's is true. the human heart. It's not social media. Now, again, social media, of course, you know, they have their own agendas and all that. But the point is, uh, there's nothing I can do about that. What I can do something about is me. I can look, uh, you know, I, I challenge anybody if you've got social media, go to your social media and go back and reread the last three, four weeks, the last three months of what you posted out there. And what is the tone of that? What are the words you're using? Are you, you, are you um, attacking other people? Are you condemning other people? Are you, um, you know, judging other people in a sense of, uh, I'm... The goal is for me to win. I'm here to prove that I'm right and you're wrong and I don't care how the chips fall. Um, what is the narrative? Because that is a great revelation of what's in your own heart. Mm-hmm. You know, James said, can salt water and fresh water come out of the same spring? Uh, no, they can't. So if you've got an issue on social media, if you, you know, if we have uh, Christians, obviously we do, that have an issue when it comes to what they're putting out on social media, then it always, it always comes back to uh, what is it in me that needs healing? You know, I can go clean up my social media page, but if I don't allow Jesus to heal my heart, 
It's not going to do any good. And that's, that's what it comes back to, healing of the heart. Uh, so when it comes to social media, all it is is a reflection of your heart. That's good. So my final, I have one final question for you tonight. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's regarding, again, your message on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it was really central to the theme of repentance. All right. And right. at the end of the service, we even had a time, a corporate time, mm-hmm. um, that we came together yep. and just repented. Um, but for a new Christian or someone who doesn't spend a lot of time in the Bible, maybe regularly, like we talked about a, mo- a moment ago, can you share really what repentance is? Mm-hmm. What does it look like in the life of the individual? And then what are some practical things? What are some practical things that each one of us can do? And, and how do we apply that to our life? Right. Great question. Great question. And yeah, you know, uh, that was a big theme on Sunday. Um, and, because, and the reason it was a big theme on Sunday is because uh, there's a pattern we, we've seen throughout church history when it comes to revival, is that revival is always preceded by repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talked about that verse, Second um, Chronicles 7.14, which of course is preceded by Second Chronicles 7.13. You know, when God brings judgment, this is the response he wants from his people, which ultimately is repentance. But yeah, great question. Okay, you know, we talk about it corporately, but let's bring it down to the person looking back at you in the mirror. How does that person repent? And what does it mean to repent? Right. So that's, that's a great question. Because there's a lot of confusion of what repentance is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we use that word sometimes uh, as a synonym for confession. And uh, yeah, I get that, but really it's not. The confession and repentance are two very different things. Now, confession is part of the repentance process, but repentance is more than just confessing. And I think kind of along these lines is, you know, a lot of Christians have gotten into the habit of confessing their sin, but they're not walking in repentance. Mm, yeah. Big difference. So what does that mean? Okay, obviously I think we're clear on confessing is, okay, yeah, you know what, Lord, I... I'm wrong, you're right, I messed up, and I ask for your forgiveness. You know, that's First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, you know, that's there because we can stand on it. And that forgiveness is available, not just the day of salvation, but the next day and the next day after that. It's that ongoing aspect of I can come before God and confess my sin, and he will continuously cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Okay, so that's the confession part. And this one, really, a lot of what we did on Sunday is we confessed. Okay, yeah, Lord, I'm wrong. You're right. I messed up. Uh, We, together as a church, have not done the things that you have called us to do. We confess that. Okay, that's a great part. That's the great first step in repentance. But repentance is more than that. The word repentance in in the Greek uh, is metamorpho. Uh, No, that's transformation. I always get those two backwards. Uh, It's metaneo, which means to change, it's not just change the direction of your life, it's to change the way you think. Um, And it's not just what you think, it's how you think. It is a transformation of, and that's where the metamorpho comes in, uh, because really repentance is an aspect of transformation, because repentance is uh, really a gift from God. It's our ability uh, I think we talked about it Sunday. I don't remember if I specifically said it this way. You know, we talk about salvation uh, in, in the context of it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. 
But that grace of salvation is a gift of God. Obviously, Jesus' sacrifice is a gift of God. We, we talk about that. But even the faith that we need to respond to the grace and Jesus' sacrifice is a gift in and of itself. It gives us a response ability, an ability to respond. Because apart from that, we don't have that ability to respond. Even that faith that gives us the ability to respond to respond is a gift of God. And that's really what repentance is in the context of um, you know, that 2 Chronicles 7.14 is God is bringing judgment. You know, he says in, in Revelation that uh, those I, I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So the ability to repent is an ability to respond or a response ability of all of us in the church. So how do we do that? Well, uh, for example, uh, I'm going to use our, our parallel our journey and celebrate recovery. Absolutely. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things that that I struggled with was pornography, mm-hmm. and for years and years I confessed my pornography, but I was not walking in repentance, right. and I didn't understand the difference. You know, I cannot tell you how many times I stood on First John one nine. I wore that sucker out, but it wasn't until I got into celebrate recovery. And, you know, started working with my sponsor and and walking through that process of learning how God transforms me from the inside out. And this is the mistake I was making. And I think this is the mistake we make when it comes to repentance. Uh, And this is why we tend to leave it at the door of confession. We... We see what needs to change in our life. And yes, we confess, you know, Lord, I, I, I confess, you know, this pornography is wrong and I confess that I shouldn't be doing it. Now I'm stuck in that, okay, now what? Mm-hmm. Okay, I confessed, you know, it's sort of like we're answering the question tonight, now what? Mm-hmm. Okay, I confessed, yes, I believe that's wrong and I, now what? Now what do I do? The mistake we make a lot of times is we think we just need to try harder. Uh, we think repentance is a, an act of willpower. Well, willpower has no power over sin. Repentance is, is founded in the act or in, in the fruit of the spirit of self-control. And it's an inside-out transformation. The only way I can walk in repentance is if I'm walking in relationship with, it goes right back to what we started, right. in relationship with Jesus. Because the more I walk in relationship with Jesus, the more I'm going to be transformed on the inside. Christianity is not a behavioral modification program. It is a character transformation process. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to draw one more thing up here to, to show you why this is so important. So how do we walk in repentance? Well, we have to understand three things. Behavior. That's what we want to change. This is where my problem was, out in the behavior. This is what you struggled with. Right, mine too, exactly. Mm -hmm. Out here, out in behavior. Well, behavior is a function of character. And that's why in Celebrate Recovery, we, we talk about character flaws. Mm-hmm. The character flaw is what leads to the behavioral bad decisions. 
The foundation of character is identity. Well, if I want my behavior to change, my character's got to change. If I want my character to change, I've got to have a transformation in identity. The only way to do that is through the gospel. And that's what we talked about right at the beginning, the gospel identity. When I'm walking in the gospel identity and I'm getting into the word of God and allowing it to transform me, it begins to transform my character. And when I talk about character, what am I talking about? My character, you know, it's sort of the same thing as what the, the Bible calls the heart. Okay, it's not talking about the physical heart. It's talking about character. Um, it's made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's how we think, the influence of our emotions, and the will is our desires. See, that's, that was my problem right there. I had a desire to do something that was sinful. And this was driving my behavior, and I just couldn't figure out how to stop this. Well, the way this changes in the aspect of behavior is the desire needs to change through a transformation of identity, influencing my character through transformation. And only Jesus can do that. So how do I walk in repentance when I know there's stuff out here that needs to change? Well, I've got to be walking in the gospel identity. Because the only way I can repent in, a, in the context of ongoing change of behavior in the sense of, yes, this thing that I know I shouldn't be doing, I'm no longer doing. But it's not just not doing it. It's I no longer want to do it. Mm -hmm. Why do I do not want to do it? Because that's no longer who I am. And this, the person I've become, creates a new desire that leads to new behavior. It's inside out. So true biblical repentance is an inside out transformation. And it, it can't be done through willpower. So yes, we, we have this great altar call. We have the aspect of confession. And it has to start there. Yeah, I confess. Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. But when I leave the altar, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? Now I need to, again, go right back into that aspect of relationship with Jesus. I have to be walking in relationship with Jesus because ultimately repentance is a response ability. It's my ability to respond to what God is doing in me through that relationship. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And part of that fruit is the fruit of the spirit, which is self-control which leads to freedom from sinful actions. And it's an inside-out transformation. So repentance is part of the discipleship process. It's part of that. It's, it's, a, it's a fruit of the relationship with Jesus. So if I want my life to change, I can't just confess. It has to be more than that. I have to be willing to put myself in a position for Jesus to heal me and then walk in that healing. And it's an ongoing thing. So... Uh, Really, that's, that's where we need to get to as a church. Because ultimately, all the issues that we've talked about tonight um, are, are aspects of, of discipleship, mm-hmm. are aspects of character flaws, and the, the fear instead of faith, or you know, the, the social media heart issues, um, you know, all that stuff. Uh, ultimately, all comes back to walking with Jesus and having a kingdom perspective. 
Because right now, you know, the world is looking for hope. The world is, let's just bring it even back down just to our country. Right now, everybody in this country (laughs) is on the edge of their seat. They are looking for an answer. But the answer is not in Washington. It's not in the result of this election. The answer is in Jesus. And what we need in the world today is a church, going back to what we talked about earlier, when I say the church, I don't just mean the entity, I mean you and me. The individual, the church member, you and me, walking in repentance, allowing Jesus to transform us so that that healing we experience, we can share with others. And as we do that, the world around us, meaning just the people in our world, in our sphere of influence, begin to see the light of the gospel, not just being spoken about, but being lived out. And as that happens, it begins to spread. That's what this world is all about. That's why we have to be uh, intentional about repentance. The aspect of repentance goes back to that daily relationship, being in the word of God, walking in the gospel identity. But it's not just on an individual level. It is on a corporate level too because the Lord brings us together. That's the word in in the New Testament, ecclesia, the called out ones. You know, this is an ecclesia, Turning Point Church, is, is the called out ones that are brought here to be part of the vision of Turning Point Church, in-reach, outreach, upreach, of, of bringing Jesus into our community in, in a way that brings hope. And that's why we sow into the kingdom of God here at Turning Point yes, Church. Yes. You know, as we come to a close today, I just want to remind you how important it is to, um, to be sowing into Turning Point Church. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the things when it comes to spiritual understanding spiritual truth is realizing that what God has given us uh, as far as our possessions and our, and our blessings are not just for us. They're, they're for the advancement of, of the kingdom. That's right. So uh, as we, we come to a close, I do want to bring, bring it back to, um, first of all, saying thank you for yes, the faithfulness you. you've had here at Turning Point Church. To be able to do stuff like this, you know, what we're doing tonight, being able to bring the truth of the biblical worldview into a chaotic situation here in, in, in the United States, uh, here in Tarrant County, here in Fort Worth, uh, or wherever you are. But it, it takes us consistently doing that over time. So we're going to move into just this, this opportunity to sow into the kingdom through our tithes and offerings. Uh, and, and take that step of faith mm. where... We take what pastor's been preaching, uh, what we're teaching here, and we empower it to continue because it has to continue because, uh, you know, the media is going in, in the opposite direction of the kingdom. I'll tell you that right now. But we need more things like this. So uh, what I want to do is lead us into the, the offering time. Uh, I think we've got the, the tithe verse tonight where we can uh, move into the tithe verse. So you want to share the tithe verse tonight, Tertina? Absolutely. It comes from James 1, 17, and it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Man, that is so good. He does not change. And right now, the thing this country needs is some consistency. (laughs) 
uh, somebody not shifting around and changing things. And here's the principle that goes with it. This verse informs us that the God of the Bible is a giving God. And he continuously gives good and perfect gifts to his people. As we give today to his work, we're reflecting his nature uh, here at Turning Point Church. You know, and there, there's, yeah, there's you know several ways you can give here at Turning Point. There are three ways <laughs> that you right. can give. Maybe four, actually, if you're if you're here on Sundays. Yeah. Um, you can you can uh, give online at tpcfamily.org/give. You can text the word "give" to eight one seven six one seven four three seven eight. You can also mail it to ten thousand seven hundred Old Burleson Road. That's in Fort Worth, Texas seven six one four zero. Well, would you join us tonight? As, as we bring this whole thing to a close, we're going to pray over the, the offering, and then we're just going to pray into a close as, as we bring our conversation to yes. a close tonight. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, first of all, we just thank you that thank you are you, sovereign Lord. over all things. And Lord, in the midst of all that's going on, Lord, uh, you know, I just want to bring it back to the aspect of that road to, to Emmaus. Lord, right now, what we see appears chaotic. What we see appears uncertain. Lord, but there's nothing that is uncertain from your perspective. That's right. There is nothing that is, that is um, not complete in your sight. Mm. So even in the midst of our uncertainty, Lord, we know that, that you are not taken by surprise. Lord, this current situation is not hindering your will, and it is not hindering your plans and purposes. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Lord, we thank you that we have a God who loves us. We have a God who loves this country and loves every single person in this country and has compassion for them in such a way that you have raised us up through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And that's why tonight, Father, we sow this seed into the good ground of your kingdom so that multitudes would be healed, saved, and, and delivered, delivered in, in Jesus, Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for being so faithful in your, in your tithes and offerings. And I hope tonight you got a better perspective of, of a biblical response to where we are. Uh, so we encourage you to share this with your friends, uh, you know, either on social media or just share what you've learned tonight. Uh, with those around you who you know are struggling with fear and uncertainty and doubt and depression, whatever. Share it with them and tell them that Jesus loves them. God has a plan for them. They were created on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is the hope that they're looking for in their life. So we love you guys. We, we look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless you. And regardless of what happens, remember Jesus is still on his throne. Amen. Good night. Good night, TPC family.